0: Hello and welcome to In Stitches. I'm Robbie Richardson, and this is the Upholstery Podcast, telling your story and inspiring others. Today, my guest is none other than Ian Stevens. Ian, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hey, thanks, Robbie, for having me along. It's great to be here.
0: That's, that's so grand. Uh, Should we let them into the little secret?
1: Yeah, this is go the for second it. time
0: we've done this. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, yours truly lost the recording. And I'm, I'm going to own up to it straight away. So nobody can um, accuse me of underhand treatment. Right, Ian, take me back to your school days and leaving school and what you were going to do and how you were going to yeah. move forward with your life.
1: Yeah, what can we say? I mean, I, I grew up, uh, I was born and grew up in Zimbabwe. So a little bit further removed from from Europe, as uh, a number of us seem to, seem to have been involved with traditional upholstery. Um, yeah, I, I, I had absolutely upholstery really wasn't on my radar at all for a long time. So, yeah, I I did a whole load of studying other things before, before that, but yeah.
0: Tell us what uh, you studied before, because okay. it, it doesn't just have to be, I mean, it's your story as much as it is about upholstery.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, I I first started off, I studied veterinary science in Zimbabwe. Um so I, did, uh, I didn't I did graduate in the end. I, I really decided that working with, uh, I didn't mind working with animals so much, but I, it was really having to work with all of the trauma that people had coming into the surgery, which was for me just, you know, I, I didn't really handle that too well. So a degree in psychology is always a good thing to go hand in hand with veterinary. So I, I changed degrees, I, uh, I went and studied soil science and horticulture down in South Africa. And uh, yeah, just as a situation arising, I ended up staying longer at university. And so I picked up another degree as well uh, in biochemistry. You never have and, too many, can you Ian? <laughs> no, uh, it's okay. You, you know, I think it's sort of a theme for me as well. So, so I, I studied biochemistry and um, and uh, inorganic chemistry, which was good. So I had those two going on, which was a little bit different, I suppose. Um, in South Africa and in Zimbabwe, we don't really do this uh, sort of co-major thing. It's very structured. So there was always a bit of a grenade being thrown inside there. Can we do this? Why not? And, and they had no answer, so I got to do it. Um, I came. I came to the UK initially to uh, to basically raise money to go back to study um, further in South Africa in horticulture. And I worked at De Montfort University uh, here up in Lincolnshire for a while. Was it Lincolnshire? Yeah, Lincolnshire. And they'd just taken over a, 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 the Lincoln Agricultural College for horticulture, and they they were still sort of phasing things out. So they had wonderful courses like mole trapping how to do it humanely and it's just so <laughs> utterly random and uh, so you know and golf course turfs and all these kind of things and i, I was there teaching when well uh, and demonstrating in anatomy as well as in the chemistry side of it uh, but it really wasn't for me i mean uh, you know i came from a really warm country into the cold of this uh, on this island and it was like wow okay this was not <laughs> happening and i I, I went back out to uh, Zambia and I, I worked there uh, on a World Bank program doing road surveys, which was absolutely fantastic. I did it for nearly two years. Um, so literally walking every possible part of the country. There, were, there weren't roads where I was and uh, people hadn't seen vehicles and this kind of thing. So it was, um, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. I really enjoyed it. I then went back to study again. I did a PhD in uh, plant physiology and horticulture. And once I did that, uh, yeah, I, was, I suppose I got a bit bored. So I, I changed direction and I studied uh, biblical languages in uh, Hebrew and Greek. And that was good fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, yeah, Hebrew, wonderful poetry, just just amazing. Uh, the syntax is, is, is really joyful to uh, to to read and to and to speak. Yeah. and then I went to Taiwan. and uh, I was there for a number of years for eight years. I was a professor there in uh, biochemistry and in languages as well. Um, and I taught Hebrew and Greek at one university and uh, a theological seminary there, as well as uh, English and in the medical faculty at another university before coming to the UK (laughs) and uh, in uh, just, uh, yeah, in rather desperate circumstances and ended up here and uh, eventually realized, okay, I was going to be, I was going to be fine. And um, I was trying to find what was I going to do. And I I had initially thought of studying uh, conservation textile, textile conservation. And I just couldn't afford it here. It was just absolutely (laughs) outrageous, the price. And so I thought, well, what can I do in my back room, you know, Uh, or in a garage or in the bottom of a shed somewhere, bottom of a garden shed, and it was upholstery. So um, Desmond Gaston, who um, some people may know here in the UK, um, he had been upholstering my mother's family furniture for decades, And um, I went along to see him uh, with my aunt and he encouraged me and said, okay, go for it. And that's where it started. Um, Yeah. that was where upholstery sort of really began. I I suppose I had done it, you know, growing up as well with my great uncle and what have you. And I'd done the odd bit of soft furnishings and upholstery uh, to support myself on the side in South Africa. And, um, I can say that now it was, you know, maybe we, we didn't declare all of those things at the time, but hey. <laughs> um, and um, I I I really enjoyed working um, with Cape Dutch uh, furniture, which I, I sort of ended up specializing in um, collecting that um, and and actually restoring it. So uh, a number of if people are from South Africa, they'll know this word is rimpi. And it's a sort of a... Um, leather strips which are used to create a, uh, a woven lattice for a seating so a very open form of um support um so i did that and here we were with upholstery in the uk
0: okay so tell us about your first job and how that all came into being so sort of, as an upholsterer tell us how you got sort of really sort of into the trade
1: hmm well i mean i i ended up um doing the the amusf courses here in the uk and i was really fortunate to have absolutely fantastic teachers uh they were french Uh um, okay. blondine bistoletti which doesn't sound french but uh, blondine is and bistoletti is italian but wonderful wonderful french woman skills like there was nothing that blondine could not do she was completely unfazed if, you know, if presented in front of her and she could, she could do it. She was absolutely brilliant. Um, and alongside her was Agnes Mireille as well, another French upholsterer who was part of that wonderful exchange program, the Leonardo program. And she came over on that initially and, uh, and stayed uh, for a number of years. And uh, so, yeah, there were two incredible, incredible women who I learned a lot from. Um, And at the same time, another uh, colleague in the same place, uh, Yukari Endoglaspa, who had originally uh, come from Japan to also study upholstery. Um, Her attention to detail, her stitch work, her fitted covers are just exquisite. Um, So I was very fortunate to to have benefited from that. Um, So I I finished the sort of the first uh, stage of AMESF, and I was fortunate to Be given an apprenticeship um, within the company, uh, which I did and um, progressed over the next uh, year or so, uh, working a lot on the bench and also getting involved with teaching as well. And I ended up uh, continuing that down in Oxford. So I was teaching in Oxford, which was great. And um, hang on, hang on, slow
0: down, slow down, slow down. down. You've gone from... Being an AMUSF student to teaching—that's quite a massive jump. To, yeah, to, but there's a bit more in there than that. Come on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, yeah, I was just really lucky. I, you know, I I think I was just re- I, I, when I start to do something, it was a case of um, I was going to try and be the best that I could possibly. I was absolutely avidly seeking that kind of practice work and on the bench, and I I, I enjoyed it a great deal. So. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So, yeah, there we did went. you go?
0: Did you go from doing an A? And, and by the way, where was your your your, your uh, college your, that you did? Um... Yeah, so
1: I was up in Kendal initially. Oh, okay. And okay. Uh, yeah. Um. And then yeah. And then came down here to Oxford. So yeah. I think it was. Well, how long did it take? Two, three years? Three years. Yeah. Um. And. Yeah. There we were. You know, I suppose it was I, a, there, were, there were times where it was, wow, I'm, I'm really having to pull out all of the stops to understand and practice and get it to work so that I had a real working understanding of how what yeah. was required for students to give them the pass on those skills. Um, and those skills were things which I had also been building on for a long time before in South Africa as well. So, you know, in terms of sewing and this kind of thing. So yeah. it wasn't like I just started from zero.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But but what about um, you you as a teacher? Presumably, you've got a lot of experience of teaching anyway. Mm. Is that a correct assumption?
1: Yeah, there we go. So Um,
0: so I I guess that was quite an easy, in some respects, an easy transformation because at least you knew and understood the format. Is that a good assessment or a poor one?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, a jump from teaching, you know, biochemistry, keyhole theory to a whole street. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I mean, their but, basics in, in terms of adapting your style of teaching for um, for people was was something which you know you, you perhaps it was more readily I was more readily able to do that. Perhaps um, the I think the the thing about it was just really because I was just so absolutely passionate about doing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just well, I actually loved yeah. it. So um, I think that sort of, and I was very fortunate in that the courses that I was teaching initially, um, because I didn't have um, uh, thirty year students at the time. So, you know, I, I was sort of, and I never got to teach third year students at that point. So, yeah. um, because they were always coming in, in, the, in the earlier levels. Yeah. Um, so in in a way, you know, it was a logical progression to move on to something else where I needed to gain the experience, uh, where, which I did clearly didn't have in modern furniture. Um, and my focus had really been towards traditional upholstery. Um, not that you know there was anything which one is better. Not at all. There isn't one that's better. It's just I wanted to do traditional upholstery, and I didn't want to do modern upholstery. Yeah. And I was just very fortunate that I had the opportunity to do that. Um, so I I, uh, I left after after a while um, teaching, and I went to work with a props hire company. Um, one of the, well, the, the largest sort of period furniture, yeah. uh, prop hire companies, uh, not only here in the UK, but around the world. And I think I was just, again, very fortunate. I quit my job and I was basically down to my, la- literally my last fiver. And um, I rang them up and said, oh, I'm looking for a job. Have you got one? Yeah. <laughs> and, And they said, well, surprise, surprise, you know, we just, um, our upholsterer left last week. Um, Can you come in next week or Monday and do a couple of days on the bench and show us what you can do? This this Um, company,
0: tell tell me the name of the company.
1: Okay, so that's Farley's, um, Farley's High Company. Um, And uh, I, I was supposed to give it a trial for a week to see, you know, did this guy actually, could he, could he hold a hammer? Did he know what he was doing? This was a tack and this was a staple. And um, I think on the second day, they, they the owner came and said, yeah, all right, you've got the job. It's fine. Get on with it. This is what you need to do. And I was there for three years. and I, I was really fortunate that I came to the company at a time when um, they were f- very financially secure. They were in a position to invest into their furniture. Um, in terms of putting it to what was you know they have a a large collection of antique French furniture I mean there are just thousands and thousands of pieces in the collection Um, and it was a real surprise to me because I had never um, imagined that what you saw on the film or what you saw in film and on tv was the genuine article and of course there are sort of copies and replicas made but this particular company, man, they had stamped French furniture going out on a daily basis. <laughs> it was just yeah, absolutely yeah. mind-blowing.
0: A previous guest and someone that used to work for me, uh, Nick Thomas, used to work for mm. me, probably before you. Yes. Well, almost certainly before you. You, you mm. may have replaced her for all I know. Um, but um, it did sound... Because um, she's told me about it, and it does sound amazing.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Well, it was incredible. I think I think for... Um, the owners there they you know I think they trusted me to really uh, just and let me loose uh, and said go and it was the most incredible experience because I could never ever have done that um, on my own Uh, I would never have had access to that kind of furniture or to clientele who would have had that kind of furniture Um, I wasn't established I didn't have a you know, I didn't have Bruno Armand's uh, qualifications. I didn't have the years of a Greg or a Gareth. Um, so you know, it was. Um, I was just really, really blessed in terms of being able to get in there. And they financially were, as I say, were able to put money into uh, investing in their collection. And you know, it's it's phenomenal. You you work on pieces from the 1700s all the way through up to you know the mid-century modern, and it it was really life-changing for me yeah. um and it's you know now you know with uh, when we watch a, a film or something on tv in this case of well spot you know please we're not pausing for watching your furniture we're actually trying <laughs> to watch the film um, so yeah there we are
0: yeah. right. so I, I mean in a way you've actually answered the next question because I, I i'm i the question is when did Upholster to become a passion for you. And it sounds like it was almost an instant. Uh, absolutely.
1: Re- well, I, th- I think, Robbie, for me, it was one of those cases of that. When I came here to the UK, I'd abs- I had pretty much lost everything. So I needed to find something that um, I could literally throw myself into and give it to you with full passion. And it just so happened as well that this particular um, subject was something I absolutely loved discovering and i loved exploring and learning and you know te- you know gently lifting off covers and seeing what was underneath was always fascinating for me and i, I you know growing up i had never understood and i suppose that's the way sort of, for me the inquisitive mind was you know why why is it how does it work how does it, how can i create how does this happen and and being able to learn those sort of techniques and those skips. Was for me absolutely fascinating, and I think I mean Bruno had, well a number of people have mentioned it uh, in in the podcasts that you've had um, that you know sometimes I will I will just have a piece of furniture in front of me and I won't touch it weeks sometimes months uh, you know I'm in a fortunate position to be able to do that you know I I realize the privilege of that because it's not my company and it's not me hitting the bottom line. Um, but you know just to get a sense of the piece of furniture and you know begin to lay your hands on it and you know stroke it gently and talk to her and you know you know just begin to I don't know, feel the person's hands on it who've gone before you yes. and to you know and to learn and respect you know what's gone before um and to in some cases you know put it back in some cases you know to keep it as it was you know and to to hold it where it is and sometimes to just say what happened here just please we have to start again um but again going back to that frame and releasing it and letting it breathe and speak again and and then and it kind of directs where you're going with it
0: so it it became
1: real passion for
0: me yeah it, it is the beautiful thing about craft is that sort of absolute physical direct physical connection with history isn't it you know Mm. you're removing something that's 100 200 years old whatever it is you know Mm. it's a complete connection to 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 the past in a way that you probably don't get in many other jobs
1: Mm. no absolutely and you know as i say and as i say i'm really grateful um for those opportunities so you know I, i had a really a quite swift progression through in terms of upholstery and exposure to different sort of areas and, and the like. Um, and I had wonderful teachers along the way which have um, who, who really have guided me and uh, I, I think not always guided me in the sense of okay, do it like this, but you know to be sensitive to something or to challenge me, which has been really good. Yeah. Um, or say okay yeah well here's a piece of furniture right go how do you do? and then be very i remember having one instance when i first started off and i had uh, stuffed some uh, stuffed a chair and the person came back afterwards and i i'd come back after lunch and that piece of furniture didn't exist the way i had it left it you know it had been the hair had been removed and it was you know start again and it was because of what the hell is going on so no you've stopped you've had lunch you don't feel the same this is a chair it's a whole thing go you know so that sort of ethos was was great yeah. um and you know l- learning from students has just been you know students come up with the most amazing questions and yeah, you know absolutely. and approaches which is just wonderful it's one of the, the things that i do enjoy about um uh some of the work which I do with the MESF with now, because I, of course, I'm no longer teaching those courses, but I verify, um, verify those. And that's a great privilege for me to see, you know, the work around the country, what is happening. um, And to see what students are bringing and, you know, new things that students are creating and the way that they approach things. You know, I think sometimes we can be um, a little bit stuck in our ways um, which m- may or not be a good thing um, you know if, but there's a good way of doing it but sometimes students or other people have uh, they approach something which you've been doing for a long time and it's like well why didn't I think of that <laughs> <Yeah. It's laughs> why? Just why? The- that is just brilliant I,
0: I, yeah. I think it's the creativity and, and sort of imagining things in a slightly different way which is mm. it's lovely
1: yeah and i mean it's uh, in my job now because i'm i'm no longer at farley's so i um i now um work uh, as a senior conservator and restorer of upholstery and it's been wonderful over the last uh, couple of well last month again having students come in and um you know showing them okay here's this is how the foundation of a chair is it's going kind of back to basics yeah you know? And this is what we do with webbing. And the joy of seeing people so enthusiastic about understanding, oh, that's how it works. For me, that's wonderful. I just I love it, you know, being able to share that kind of knowledge with people and to empower them to have skills um, so that, you know, they can walk away from it and say, you know, well, we won't look at a chair in the same way. We will handle it in a different way. Um, we will appreciate we appreciate, oh, that's what's gone into it, um, which is fantastic.
0: I think that's a really important part of our job as upholsterers is to get people to understand the complexity of what is underneath mm. the chair, because most non-upholsterers just see a cover. Yeah, and I, I do <laughs> honestly think it's our job to express it and get people to understand it because then it's not just the cover but, yeah but exactly probably in a moment but, i mean
1: the top not. cover is almost sort of by the by i mean it's all that it's like kind of the the cherry on top of the cake you know the tasseling and the braiding and you know this kind it's of a thing. very
0: very important part of the job but it, it, yeah, yeah. you know it, <laughs> it true so much work
1: true uh, but again, you know, for for being able to teach, it's one of the things which I, I think over this past month with um, with teaching, I've, I've realized that it's something which, yes, I'm really looking forward to doing again. Um, and I, I mean, I are doing this alongside uh, um, a number of others with Upholstery Education back over in the US, um, with Bruno and with Armand and, you know, just the wonderful and with Gareth and Greg and and others as well who are joining as tutors over in the U S and I'm really looking forward to it. It should be great because again, there's a, it's, it's like when you're teaching, you know, basic mathematics to, to children underneath a tree who don't have a book and pen and paper and we're drawing it in the sand or in the ground. And they're just absolutely passionate about it, you know, because that thirst for knowledge. And I think um, it's one of the things going over to the U S which I'm really looking forward to as well, is because there seems to have been, uh, you know, uh, a real lack of that kind of education and training um, across the U.S. I mean, it's it's getting better, but there's a real need for it as well and a real passion for it. So I'm looking forward yeah, to doing no. that there.
0: No, that would be brilliant. So I, I, you've really answered this question already, but uh, mentor? Who, who's your mentor? Who has been your mentor?
1: Sure. You know, I... If I go back to um, when I first started as a student and the it, it has to be Blondine again, yeah. Blondine Bistoletti. I mean, even though I haven't seen her for years now, yeah. um, I, there are times when I just think, OK, right. Would, what would Blondine do? Or if, as I lay my hands on this. It's almost a religious experience as I lay my hands on this piece of furniture at the end and I run my hands over the edge of a, of a roll or a feathered edge. And I just think, mm, yeah, Blondine, you'd be happy with this. That's OK. Um, so, you know, I, I suppose she's my go back to person um, as well. Not because she was always I mean, she made mistakes, but. Um, but what was amazing about Blondine was not the, oh, you, crap, what, what now? It's a case of how she approached, okay, this is the situation. How do we make it work? You know, and it, that kind of teaching process of what lies ahead, you know, when you are stitching something, remember, you need to have this little bit of give here. Remember, you know, she never allowed me to use chalk ever. <laughs> <laughs> for a line or to you know she said no uh, you cannot be counting stuff you know you have to literally feel your way and you 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 begin to see it you know before it actually happens as, as opposed, but you know that that was her way of teaching it and i think uh, to me um, and i really appreciated it um, as opposed to being forced into doing something else you know she taught people with chalk as well as where she was my real go to and i think you know subsequently Um, do I have a mentor now no should I have a mentor probably (laughs) yeah
0: yeah. there's there's
1: always a need for them and I think you know there comes a point where sometimes people think oh well yes you you've done this and and you know you have the answers and well you don't always have the answers and you know that you there's a constant learning process so that the mentors are varied and you you bounce off ideas and thankfully in in our field particularly here in the uk there are a lot of people who are more than willing to share their knowledge and you know and i've, I've been better for it
0: so so moving on to the next questions because in a way i think that the whole mental thing actually is, is, is a bit of an answer for it but as a student starting out today what advice would you give them what steps would you get them to take because because i think i think there's a, a huge Piece around mentoring for, mm. for for students because mm. you can get very stuck sometimes when you don't know the, the, yeah, the sure. you know when you haven't got the, the the history to to actually go back and say oh, I did it like that before
1: sure sure uh, I, I suppose there are there are a number of different things I mean the you know when you're starting out there there are a lot of people who are starting out as hobbyists and they're fantastic with business and and the like. Um, for me, I, I, I really feel that it's worthwhile investing money into getting some good training um, mm-hmm. from an established individual um on be it on a course that they're offering but it doesn't matter which you know organization you know but one that is recognized um here in the uk that that there are um there is that here i mean in france they have it uh, far more than than we do here likewise in parts of europe denmark and and uh, finland norway um there are definite uh, schools there, which are, you know, if you have the opportunity to do that, I would really recommend doing it. Mm. Uh, Because it, it, it establishes foundations from which you can diverge from, and adapt to because you learn those skills from them. Um, as opposed to trying to buy every single possible upholstery book, <laughs> because yeah. it becomes confusing. Um, and it's not to say that everybody's right or everybody's wrong, but it's it's good to have one sort of system in place, and then you can you know move on from there. I,
0: I think a point to that as well is it's, particularly as you're learning is sort of having that sort of magpie. Mm-hmm. Sort of, of, of listening and learning from mm. lots of people rather than mm. relying just on one. I mean that's a exactly. luxurious position to be in, and not many will be. But if you if you can talk yeah. to more than one person, it, it exactly, must help.
1: and ask the questions. You know there are forums galore out there at the moment, which are you know you know ask your questions and and don't be disheartened. Um, by individuals who, you know, come across with a negative comment or say, Well, what the hell are you asking? This has been asked twenty thousand times. Well, so what? Yeah, this is the first time you're asking it and it's it's valid and it's worthwhile. So, you know, don't don't be put off by the sort of the naysayers and those who know everything, supposedly. Um, ask your questions and there will be people who will support and understand and try honestly to give you a helping hand. Um
0: it's also worth bearing yeah. in mind, I think, that um one person being a naysayer is just one person's opinion.
1: Exactly. You
0: don't have to listen to them. I, I think this exactly. is the most important part of, of social media is when people start attacking you, is mm. to accept that it's one person's view, move on.
1: Yeah, it was very funny. I had one individual who, whose name I can't remember. They were based what? over in the U.S.
0: Anyway, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, they, they were based over in the. Honestly, I, I can't remember who they were. And I I had uh, as a student, I remember I tied some springs and I had posted it online or something, and I was super happy, you know, with my first lashing of French system, and yeah. and they absolutely berated me about, you know, why am I doing it like this? Why am I reinventing it? It should be tied like this as an eight way tie. And I'm just thinking, what the hell? You know, where are you coming from? Um, Eight way ties were for mattresses, as far as I was concerned. And we're an American idea where we put that into traditional furniture. So hey, this has been done like this for centuries, uh, you know, back off. (laughs) <laughs> thankfully there were others who came in and said you know gave them gave this individual a few uh, uh, directives and um and they they disappeared and and that's okay so th- that's the one thing i would say with students yes ask the questions if you you know try and get the education the best one that you can don't worry about investing in the sewing machine you know that is you know worth thousands of pounds get the basic stuff you know get a good buy the best that you can afford um, if you can't get the the silent bambi compressor that a dentist would like to have next to his patient, so be it go with the 96 decibella. you know it, it get just get the best that you have and then there's a third thing for people is to manage your expectations because uh, not all of us have the privilege of Dedicating our craft solely to traditional furniture. Um, you know, it's it the other thing is that it costs money and things don't happen. You know, you've finished your qualification, you've done your evening classes, you've been attending for, you know, several days a week for months, and you've got your your certificate. Um th- that's not saying you're an upholsterer. You know, you have to spend hours and hours on the bench of practice. It doesn't come like that. You have it's to work stopped. at it. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have to work at it. And you have to realize that you're going to quite possibly make not a great deal of money in the learning process. Um, it's going to cost you. I mean, it, hopefully you will learn and you will learn quickly and you will get ahead with it. And I suppose that therein lies the other thing for people who are wanting to do um, upholstery and to make it their career, be it their first or uh, second, third, fourth, in my case, I don't know how many I've got now, so whatever we are, Um, is to, if you have the opportunity, is to really come alongside somebody who has business, operational business skills, Uh, how to put together a a spreadsheet that says this is my ingoings, outgoings, this kind of thing, and how to budget, because it can be so overwhelming. You, I'm, I'm absolutely rubbish, rubbish at that side of it. I'm, I numbers and me are absolutely horrendous. Um, no, that's you. Yeah, yeah it's to come along. You know, for me, I, I can be quite happy. You know, stitching and and lashing springs for giving, giving me springs to lash and stitching. You know, until the cows come home but ask me to sit in front of a, a spreadsheet and balance my books. I mean, I, it's like, it's, it's a wall. It, it was a huge wall against me, um, you know, and I would put it off and put it off. You know, the, I'm, I'm that person who is doing it at 12 o'clock at night, the day before your tax had to be in because I'm scrabbling for receipts because I just didn't have my stuff together. Mm. So, you know, with time, you learn to change, but man, if I had done it differently, I would have had, taken some time to invest in some business just basic business management and skills um because it's it it takes so much time if you're not up to speed with it yeah um,
0: it's 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 the major learning that i've had in my business is is, is actually the function of running mm, it and mm, you know it, it changes everything once you understand it but it, it's mm, been a long yeah time.
1: absolutely and you know, fortunately, you know, I'm in the position where the job that I have now, um, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, so, which is a little bit of a cop out, I hear. But um, you know, my time is taken up with uh, instead of balancing budgets, I'm now writing a lot of treatment reports and historical reports and and justifying why I want to do something, and that for me is infinitely more fun than crunching numbers so you know you also find your find your strengths so you know if if you are in the position where you are struggling with you know organizing your finances your media find somebody who has that as a strength and come alongside um and there are plenty of plenty of things which will help you doing that yeah
0: totally there's there's a lot of help out there if you if you see So moving on. Yeah. What part of the craft do you enjoy most? What's. Wow. Well,
1: I I think we've probably just established that top covers are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's nice. It's it's the tinsel cherry. Uh, I really, really enjoy lashing springs. There's something incredibly zen about it. Yeah. You know, that movement, that repetitive movement, and just getting your spring to set just right and just tilting at the you know with that last little bit of tension for me i absolutely love it and i find it incredibly therapeutic I, I love i know we don't see it you know at some you know it's one part i know people don't get to see the springs but you know it's like lashing and tying well tying off your springs underneath for instance and creating beautiful patterns and your stitching underneath yeah. i i, I do know maybe it's a bit ocd i think it probably helps to be ocd oh i think it does <laughs> it's like okay right are my stitches underneath tying in my springs mirror imaging down the sofa and do i how do i finish and round it off at the end so there's this sort of mirror imaged perfection hopefully you know at the end of it um so springs yes and stitching i find just the most relaxing thing um you know now as you're going through and you you feel how underneath the hair, the horse hair is responding to your to your needle and thread. It's it, it's always amazing to me when I you know get to the end of a row and and I can step back and say, you know, it's actually worked. That's just amazing. <laughs> I think each, I I I never sort of I I don't think there's a there's been a single chair that I've stitched that I've expected to be great or you know i'm going to let this out of my out of my bench and it goes away um I, I, I'm always amazed that it kind of works. <laughs> you can do it. I'm still I, amazed. I Kind of understand what you're saying very well. Yeah, I, I don't have that with modern upholstery. I had to do it for a, a an Oxford Street uh, brand, you know, at one point, and it was just a complete nightmare for me. I just, you know, I was working with this foam and having to glue it into shape and what have you, and I found it utterly soul destroying for me, because you yeah, know, it's glue, and I I couldn't get it to the, you know. It's, it, it just was always a, a struggle for me. So, I do yeah.
0: think actually that there is a tremendous skill in modern upholstery?
1: It, Absolutely. It's, it's Absolutely.
0: It's just totally different.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah. I, I, there, you know, people who knock modern upholstery as well, you know, really, you, you know, try and do it. Yeah, <laughs> try yeah. And do it. I, mean, I, I
0: mean, you look at the buttoning and stuff. Well, it's just
1: unbelievably good. And I mean, I, I look at some of these chairs that, you know, I've only done once, one swan chair. Um, and I did a I, I did an egg chair and oh my god, that thing was just a just a complete nightmare for me, you know, to get it to to sit. And I'm I'm just completely blown away by people's skill at getting it to work, you know, and they just get that top stitching to sit exactly there each time. Wow that's just magic yeah. um just magic so springs and and stitching for me are probably my favorite part um and i think the other part of it is is of the upholstery is actually seeing the client's reaction to what i've done i i really enjoy that and explaining the process of You know, I typically put in a little story into the chair or, you know, some of the old fabric, if it's, you know, you know, this kind of thing. And I write a little note and I put it inside an envelope and it's tucked away inside a chair. Um, And so that people, you know, next time around can get it and seeing, you know, have have you hit the right thing? You know, have you made that person happy? And that was always important for me with upholstery. Were you happy at the end of it?
0: Yeah, Even
1: if I'm not exactly 100 percent perfect with it myself
0: yeah 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 oh, yeah so your proudest moment what's your sort of in upholstery what, what, what would you is that is that something you've got or or is it just to um you,
1: you know i think each it, yeah no i mean it's going to say some ridiculous there is there is one chair which i well armchair which i was really happy doing um and it was um it was a chair that was made by a chap called uh, Philippe Gubert, uh, William III chair, and it's, it was a missing armchair. And actually, I did a pair of them, and they've been hiding in full sight for a very, very long time, and nobody knew. And it, there is a cut that has to happen. There is a, a spiraling cone on the outer, uh, on the outer wing, and it is a phenomenal cut to make where you've got to cut so that you can get a spiral to sit okay. through on it and to make the pattern still yeah. work and i only had one go at it well i had to do it four times but on the first i only had one go in the sense of the fabric that was available they were no longer producing it it was insanely expensive um, which is not initially that off-puts me, but it was a case of where well, you cannot screw it up because yeah, there's nothing more. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't a, you know, you can't make a fly on somewhere. This is it. And cutting that and getting it to, you know, fit onto this piece was absolutely magic for me. I, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. And, and discovering, you know, peeling back the layers that this was the chair that people had been looking for. And uh, that was, that was amazing to work on. And, you know, the furniture, which I get to work on now is just incredible. So it's always good to, you know, it's a privilege to be able to work on pieces of furniture, which are, you know, in books and, and the like, and it's, it is amazing. It's a real privilege.
0: Yeah. So, Negative question time. I've really got to find a, <laughs> got to find a different question. Because I say this every time. Um, but what frustrates you about the trade? What 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 elements of the trade do you think could be improved?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I. It's a little bit difficult every now and again here in the UK. I'm, look, I, I mean, we're bleating here in the UK about upholstery supplies and what have you. And then you'd think of the poor Americans and, you know, who are suffering, you know, to get anything decent, you know, without having to pay an arm and a leg. I think that's one of the difficulties here at the moment. For me, I'm experiencing it, at, you know, in this past couple of weeks, trying to get supplies and just thinking, oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things that is, is probably, yeah, is, is there something really frustrating about it? I, I, I suppose I'm not really frustrated about it. I think it's uh, um, that you can kind of make a plan, but I think sometimes it's the sort of, sometimes people expectations churning it out are maybe you know, not realistic and we need to be uh, realistic in, in creating opportunities for people to explore and to empower them to to do that and I think that we as an industry here in the UK it's it's making moves in that direction but that kind of apprenticeship training is that I experienced and I mean it's one of the things I'm really that I've enjoyed now over this past month and what's coming up in in this year taking on um, more individuals you know and and, and seeing okay well, this is where an apprentice can come in and uh, work alongside is that those opportunities that i had don't seem to be um as many as there are students coming out and it would be it would be helpful if you know that that was there or if there was some kind of funding that was there for for people to do that because taking on, apprentices is always you you take a knock and I, I get that but if i look at how it was over in france and in italy where you you had funding for that we don't seem to have the same funding no. although there are moves that you know are appearing we, we don't have it and that kind of appreciation for that kind of mentoring idea it's is,
0: much much uh, talked about to be honest yeah that, the whole issue so uh,
1: yeah. So if you also know a place where, you know, an all for upholstery, which is disappearing off the face of the earth by the looks of it, you know, if we can find a way of getting that here sooner, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, if you're going back to France, take an empty van, Robbie, you'll make a fortune coming back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's already been killed of. Um, so the opposite end of the scale, what excites you? Hmm. Excites me in upholstery. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think just the challenge of being able to work with historical furniture for me is just a joy. Honestly, I I, I I realize that I'm in a privileged position and being able to do that, but it is a deep joy for me to be able to work with furniture of good quality um, and to know that the work that I'm doing is going to be there for a a very, very long time um, and that it's documented and it's recorded and there is that kind of legacy that you're leaving behind. And the, you know, but also the opportunity, which I enjoy about saying, this is why I've done something so that you, you don't just get a chair and you sometimes take a chair and you just think, well, why? Why did that happen? And there was obviously a reason for that, but is the opportunity now what I enjoy is to record it and say, this is why I've done these deci- made these decisions. And I'm really fortunate to have that opportunity. So I enjoy working with that kind of historical furniture, which is great. Um, and I look forward to the opportunities for sharing that uh, and teaching that not only here in the UK, but over in the US as well.
0: So you, You've probably answered the next question because it's, it's where do you see yourself in the next few years? What, what plans have you got? Is it more teaching?
1: I think teaching will certainly come into it as well, but also a lot more writing as well. Um, and not not only in upholstery, uh, the you know, I'm absolutely passionate about textiles, and you know I have a a very large collection uh, that I've put together over the over the last sure fifteen coming up twenty years of um, Chinese ethnic minority costumes. Um, yeah. And that is an absolute. And that you know, the documentation of that and writing about those, and, and eventually publishing that is 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 a good goal. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm also, um, I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to sharing that kind of knowledge as well, not only in textiles but in upholstery. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I just love being able to share that knowledge and to see people take on board something and it just likes oh wow that's how it works and you just see them those are the steps to enabling that person to fly i I love it it's uh i I really enjoy it it. so i hope that happens more
0: and so how do you relax outside of upholstery what 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 are your passions (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh maintaining my boat afloat at the moment eh? literally my boat afloat uh, i live on a on a narrowboat so it's uh, yeah it's always quite entertaining you know am i going to sink this month no hopefully not um but there is uh, th- we've had during the the lockdown of uh, of last year we had access to a really amazing allotment and that was just wonderful being able to sit there and to toil in the soil uh grow vegetables you know there's nothing so empowering as watching a tomato grow um and you know being able to harvest your own which has just been amazing um so there's that and hopefully i will get back to painting a lot more i haven't had the space for painting a great deal since i've been on the boat um but hopefully now with the studio space which i have access to at work um that will happen again you can't paint sort of five meter canvases on an narrow boat it doesn't work <laughs> there is no space <laughs> and you can't get people standing naked on the pontoon whilst you draw them so yeah it doesn't really work that way either
0: i'm sure you could get someone <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is london after all
0: i'm going to change the next question because i think i think it there's a different question for you, you know, in a way. And like, if you look back over your sort of academic life and, and your journey to upholstery, would you change it, or would you would you still want to have that the, the the life that you've lived up to this point, or would you have gone directly into upholstery?
1: I certainly wouldn't have gone directly into upholstery. I have thoroughly enjoyed the journey to this point. Yeah. Um, there have been incredible highs, there have been incredible lows. Um, but the experiences of life, I, I wouldn't change those. know, um, I've had the great privilege of living and working in many different countries in Africa um, and exploring that and uh, working in many different fields from conservation, you know, animals and vegetation, this kind of conservation, uh, through economic surveys and road development and rails and bridges to, you know, uh, teaching at schools and, you know, getting people up and running nurseries. So I I wouldn't change it. I think all of those have contributed to where I am today. Um, Are there things that I would have changed? Mm, there were probably a few decisions obviously like most people we would have you know probably done differently yeah yeah I I've, I, wouldn't have no I, I'm I very have, happy yeah. the way it's gone yeah I'm just point. really
0: interested sort of that the, because because obviously you've had a massively varied career <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's fascinating from that point of view because you know you're obviously very academic and and you you've ended up being quite hands-on as well but you, you obviously mm. always have been but mm. that's quite often not the case isn't it
1: Yeah I was very fortunate I had a father and a grandfathers who were who were very practical individuals and um, I was always encouraged to give it a go you know I, I firmly believe as well that one of the things for me has been leap there will be a net. there's going to be a net it may be slightly lower down on the level of what you were, but there's always a net you know i'm i'm grateful that i've had that that experience and that um but my they always give it a go and if you don't try it well you know what what's the worst you could either live in what if or you can find out
0: i I could not agree with you more on that one (laughs) (laughs) so last question my man hey you're on a desert island. You've got a film, a book, and a piece of music.
1: What are you taking? Oi, hey, okay. So this time I'm actually organised for my all three. I don't think I. I think I cheated on the last one, but here we go. So I think, um, he says. <laughs> <laughs> moment, moment. You know, I probably go for uh, Haruki Murakami's. Uh, book which most people um call iq84 or ichi Q uh, on it's a a real surrealistic idea of a sort of parallel universes i don't know if you know this uh this writer i don't, um, don't. he's absolutely magic you'll love him is uh yeah this this book is uh, is fantastic. It was put out, and I think it was translated into English in two thousand and ten from Japanese. But it's a, a the classic tale. It's a real sort of narrative uh, that goes backwards and forwards between: is it real? Is it not real? And it really gets you to the point of questioning your own reality, and you just think, <laughs> why is am I, am I really? What's happening around me? You know, are the little people that are formed inside this chrysalis? Um, real or do I recognize parts of this? And am I in a parallel universe? Who knows, you know, and it tackles themes of murder and history, cult, religion, and violence, family ties, all the sort of things which are sort of part of Japanese contemporary life and culture. or um, well, they, they've sort of become um, sort of really sort of epitomized culture in Japan at the moment, and, you know, Studio Jubilee and what have you as well. Um, but there is a. I suppose it also ties in. You know, he's a. Yeah, there, there are two people that happen inside there. There's a, a woman called Amamai and um, her childhood um, love or well, close friend called Tango, who's a maths teacher and, and a ghost writer. And um, there's this whole story that you know, develops, and eventually they find themselves and they they come together into the same universe and we don't know if it's parallel or not but there are two moons and they rise and they're these two individuals together and they found each other and they reach out and the book ends and you just think "Ah, where is it you know so you know on the desert island you can always invent your own stories I yeah. suppose and there's always um you know there's a, a fantastic link through from an, the music that uh, is spoken about a great deal uh by Murakami inside there including uh a wonderful piece of music by Zanec, who is a, a Czechoslovakian guy, uh, who wrote the, this uh, um, Cintrinetto, which was originally, I think, uh, what's it called? The mil- I think it was called the military. Uh, was it called the mil- yeah, it was in the military, and then it changed to the so called games. Uh, symphony uh, from the 1920s, beautiful piece of music. But yeah, but in terms of music, it's not. Uh, I want to talk about Czech and uh, whatever. You, but probably, uh, as mentioned before, as Ava Pert, I, I absolutely adore his music. Um, minimalist, wonderful, yeah. Estonian guy, absolutely magic. Um, I, I spoke about it before about his yeah. Tintinnabuli um, and the, the sort of play of. Um, this tentabular voice and a melodic voice going over each other and it, it's absolutely magic and the, the the piece of music which for me is from him that I absolutely adore is something Spiegel im Spiegel which uh, translates either as the mirror in the mirror or mirrors in the mirror um, and it's an a, a, a absolutely classic um piece of music which sort of runs up and down on on the scale of f but it it does this amazing thing on on everything extends and then it comes back and they're they and then it gets wider but always ending in on the sort of fulcrum of the the note a it's it's beautiful beautiful work i love it yes. um yeah the sort of ascending and descending and you know coming back to it so it's like complete infinity so no end to the music of how you want to i mean it's only 10 minutes of music yeah, no, I, but wonderful you, stuff
0: do you like taverna as well
1: yeah, yeah absolutely and of course max richter as well yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking about sleep earlier uh you know before you know his eight and a half hours of it and i love that idea of you know this um sleep it's, i mean there's what 30 odd compositions inside there sort of four or five different movements so that yeah. he's got going or themes but it's this wonderful thing the study of sleep and it's almost like a protest a lullaby can be a protest i don't know probably um where you sort of have you know it's a, it's a protest about all of the, the the craziness that we kind of associate with You know, modern life, you know, industrialization and making we've got to do this and we've got to be there and make the computer work and this kind of thing. And this lullaby is a sort of a protest against it. It's wonderful for me. um Is that it? Oh, wait. And what was the other thing? A film. Have I spoken about a film? Hmm. I think it's probably, I mean, the English translation is is horrid. Uh, it doesn't, because it gives the wrong idea. It's probably Pan's Labyrinth um, by Guillermo del Toro, um, the okay. Mexican-Spanish guy, um, director, del Toro Gomez, sorry, from 2006. And the, the Spanish uh, version of it is it translates into English, not as Pan's Labyrinth, but as the Labyrinth of the Fawn. Uh, so it removes the whole sort of Greek mythology idea. But it's this fantastic uh, film set sort of just after the Spanish Civil War and beautiful. You know, it, it, it intertwines again the sort of the real and the mythical. I suppose I, I quite, quite enjoy that kind of fantasy inside there. And the music in the film I, um, by uh, um, uh, uh, Javier Navarrete. Javier Navarrete, yeah, it is him. Is it him? Javier yeah, it's absolutely yeah. fantastic as well that the music he also did the music it's a, for the devil's backbone which the sort of pan's labyrinth is a successor to but amazing stuff and it deals again with you know the this fawn and similarities with the chronicles of narnia that was put out by disney as well the film you're talking similar age characters and fawn and this kind of thing and going through a door and this kind of thing as well um but yeah it it would probably be there parables and the whole sacra you know you've got to get three tasks done and the last one she fails at and she doesn't sacrifice the newborn and she's shot and her blood is then falls onto the altar and you know this is proving her worth and she's reinstated into the underworld and she gets to rule the underworld after her father and mother. And it's a, a beautiful, beautiful film. A subtitle beautifully as well. Uh, so often subtitles can be a bit blunt. Um, but if you don't get the Spanish, the subtitling is poor and it's beautifully made, beautifully made. <laughs> Sorry. There we go. Stop. Stop.
0: <laughs> no, I get your passion. I love it. Ian, thanks so much for joining me. Fabulous. Thank you.
1: Robbie, it's been great seeing you and speaking with you again. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you again.
0: Cheers. Take care. Cheers. (laughs)